Here we go. It's Rumination Thursday on Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is Pastor Wes Reimnitz. How you doing, Wes? I'm doing fine. It's 10 days. 10 days? Oh. Till Christmas. What's in? Oh, Christmas. Is that this month? Boy. Yeah, it's hard what to believe. To October. October. What happened to December? <laughs> yes, boy. By the way, we have this Thursday, and we will be on next Thursday. So next Thursday will be our last day for this year. Then KFUO is taking a Christmas break, and God willing, we'll be back in early January. But uh, today we have something interesting to talk about. Uh, you indicated that you'd like to go again to CFW Walther's theses on talking to students about the distinction between law and gospel. And you have decided on thesis number 11. What, what Walther did, he talked to the students for over a year on Friday nights, and he gave 21 ways in which people misuse the distinctions between law and gospel. You read thesis 11 as to what is that misuse, and we'll talk about it. Thesis 11 is you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you only want to comfort those with the gospel who are contrived because they love God. You also need to comfort people with the gospel who are not only contrived because of their they fear his wrath and punishment. In, in other words, the gospel doesn't come to people on the basis that they love God because the law is given to people for one reason. And what is the purpose of the law? Well, it's... Uh... Uh, it's kind of like SOS, the Savior, SOS, the, the law, SOS. It shows our sins. That's yes. the purpose of the law. It has only one single function, and that's to lead people to the knowledge of their sins. The law has no power to renew people because... Every other religion in the world outside of Christianity uses the law to get people to be renewed. By obedience to the law, they think, therefore, that a person can be saved. But that ability to renew people is found only in the gospel. Why is that? Well, it's... Uh... God gives us that spiritual life through through faith. It, it, it is the Holy Spirit working through the Word. Yes. Uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God, as we, we read in Romans 10. Yes, an unconverted person who claims to love God is actually stating falsehood 
and is guilty of miserable hypocrisy, even though he may not be aware of it. He's making a false claim because only faith in the gospel regenerates a person. So if you're talking to an unbeliever and they may even recognize they're a sinner, but they say, well, I love God because I'm trying to do good works to be saved. That really is demanding from a sinner that he must be alarmed because of his sins and he must feel sorry for them out of love of God. And that is a terrible way of turning law and gospel completely backward. We say the gospel to whom then? We say the gospel to those that that fear for their their sins and understand that they are apart from, from, from God. Yes. Yeah, there's no way that a person thinks he can love God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. He makes a statement I found really interesting. There is no need for you to change your behavior. There is no need for you to cleanse yourself first. And there is no need for you to improve before you believe in Jesus Christ. The only one who can improve you is Jesus. And that occurs as you come to believe him. So the law can show us our sin. John the baptizer, he did a repentance, a baptism of repentance. But what did he say about Jesus who was coming after him? What was Jesus going to do that John the baptizer couldn't do? Well, he was going to baptize him with the Holy Spirit. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Yes. Well said. So it is that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that can come about either through the sacrament of baptism, or it can come about by preaching the word of God, like from Romans. So the only person that can improve an unbeliever is Jesus. And that only comes about if you come to believe in him. And therefore the law, preaching the law, does not really help at all for a person to change his life because he will do it for a selfish reason. Well, we've talked about this before where of all the religions out there, the Christian religion says it's already done. Our salvation is done for us through through the Savior and the world. Is What do we got to do next in order to merit God's worthiness? Yes. Yeah, Romans 5.20 has something to say about that. It says, now the law came to what? Increase our good works? No. To increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, we preach the law to increase the awareness of how sinful we are. 
And so we let the law strike the conscience with lightning force. And the person will become actually worse. He will begin to rear up against God and say, what, I'm going to hell? True, I know that I am an enemy of God, but that is not my fault. I can't help it. That's what the preaching of the law does. It drives people to despair. In contrast to the gospel, what does it drive people to? Well, the, the gospel drives a person uh, to a message of joy to realize that uh, the joy of the gospel and, and how we can receive it, that our sins are forgiven. Yes. So this is really interesting that we preach the law to bring a sinner to the edge of despair. And hopefully then, when they hear the message of joy of the gospel, they will wonderfully receive it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 4.15 says, the law brings wrath. It stirs up people to burn with wrath against God, not to love God. Now, are we seeing that in the United States today among some people? <laughs> yeah. They uh, kind of, uh, I lost my train of thought there. Well, the fact is, when we preach the law, what happens in the hearts of some people who are not Christian? Well, it's, uh, it can go either way, but uh, it drives the, the the law drives people to despair, and uh, they brought to a point where uh, they have taken a great uh, step forward on their way to salvation when they when they despair themselves and say, "I'm a poor miserable sinner." We're, we're reminded of the Pharisee and who went to pray and thanked God that he was not like that tax collector. And the tax collector, realizing his sins, said, God, have mercy on me. So, law and gospel is really the big distinctions in the Bible. And we need to understand when you're preaching the law, you're not trying to get people to do good works in order to be accepted by God. Uh, Galatians 3.21 is mentioned by C.F.W. Walther, and it says this, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But where does righteousness really come from? Well, righteousness comes from, from God. It, it, uh, it's not the righteousness of humans that, that uh, causes uh, a, a cleansing operation. It, uh, 
uh, intention is that it comes from from God alone. Yes, Second Corinthians three six, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, what's that verse talking about in regard to the letter? What is it referring to? Well, it's referring to the letter of the law. Yes. Uh, Luther wrote, you know, the words, this is my body in Magdeburg, and pointed out the words again and again. And the Union Church feels that uh, Luther was not acting that in a Christian way when he did that. When, he, In actual fact, uh, what Luther did was not Unionist, it was genuine Christian. The, the words mean this, that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Yes. So there is a real purpose of the law. I like to give the analogy when you go to a doctor and you're feeling pretty good, but he does an examination, maybe an annual examination for you, and he finds out that you have a problem. It might be a problem with your kidney or your heart or something like that. You don't really feel it. Now, when you hear of the problem, does that make you joyous? Not at all. No. So what's the doctor doing? He's diagnosing what's wrong with you. And that's the purpose of the law, to diagnose all of us as falling short of the glory of God. So what does a doctor then do after the diagnosis? Well, he offers a a prescription. He offers a, uh, a solution to your problem. Yes. In other words, he provides treatment. And so the law has the purpose of creating fear concerning God. Because look what you have done. Take a look at the message of John the baptizer when he talks to the soldiers. You know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And the law increases your perception of how sinful you are. And therefore, it doesn't cause you to love God. It may cause you to love yourself in thinking that, well, I'll start behaving better and God will therefore reward me with salvation. But that doesn't occur, does it? No. In fact, it's more and more. With that baptism of uh, John the Baptist, it was a baptism of repentance. So when Jesus yes. was baptized by by John, the reverse happened. Jesus took on the sins of the world. Exactly. That's what it says in Second Corinthians chapter 5. So Walter says, bring the consolation of the gospel even to the greatest of sinners, but only when they are terrified by the wrath of God and hell, are they fully prepared to receive the gospel. Now this goes against our reason, he says. We think it is strange 
that such scoundrels should be comforted immediately. We would think that they should be forced to suffer greater agony in their conscience. And false teachers adopt this method, method when they deal with alarmed sinners. But a genuine Bible theologian resolves to preach the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ to a person whom God by his law has prepared for such preaching. Remember, John the baptized, baptizer was sent to prepare the way of Jesus. So how is preaching the law a preparation for Jesus? Well, it's when John prepared the way for the Lord, he, he, as it said in Isaiah, that he raised the valleys and leveled the mountains and made a path straight through, through uh, knowing what our sins were about. And that's what uh, the law does. It, it makes our path straight towards the Lord, but it is the Lord coming to us. Yes. Godly sorrow, therefore, is required because faith is required. By terrifying us, God wants to produce this sorrow. We must not imagine that contrition is a good work that we do. Rather, it is something that God works in us. God comes you know, a lot of times the picture of the law is a mirror, but it's also spoken of as a hammer. What What's that metaphor re referring to? Um, a hammer of the law crushes our soul. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, it's like when, when we use a hammer, uh, you know, and we're nailing, we hit our thumb and we go, ouch. Here it's talking about that it does much more than that to us. Yes. In, in other words, in every other religion in the world, the people leading those religions want to make people so sorrowful that they will drag themselves down more and more, and therefore they will start to love God. But that doesn't come about by the law. A person suffering from the right kind of sorrow actually desires to be rid of it. That's what, what, what's Luther's explanation of the first commandment? We should, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Excellent. That word fear, a lot of people don't realize, is really a work of the law. But as we hear how far we have fallen from God's wisdom and will, then we recognize, oh boy, I am in trouble. But there's nothing we can do to get rid of that problem. So, you know, with our churches, with our churches today, and some of them that we see, where we've been talking about, where they preach a lot of law. You know, and make even love thy neighbor sound more legalistic than than from a gospel point of view. 
Is it any wonder that uh, we've seen more people leave the church and go looking for something else? Yes, because in many churches, the emphasis is a preaching of the law. And they don't realize that when a person hears that law, they really get to hate God more and more and do, do, do fear his punishment. But that will not lead to love of God. True repentance happens when the conscience is terrified, begins to feel its sin, and the great wrath of God against sin is something that is really sorrowful to us. And this contrition takes place in the manner when our sins are punished by the word of God. So when we preach the law, it's for the purpose of terrifying people. And when they get to that place of, wow, God, I cannot do something. It's then that you speak the good news of the gospel. It's like hearing that you have cancer and the doctor tells you that and you weren't aware of it and you become very terrified. But then he says, by the way, this form of cancer is curable if you take these treatments. And that is the good news. Can you imagine a doctor leaving a person with a diagnosis and no hope of recovery? Mm. It kind of reminds me of Paul on the road to Damascus where he, he uh, is confronted by Christ. And later he goes to Damascus and he there blinded and he's going through all those words uh, of, the, of the Old Testament. And uh, the word and, and the law are reaching into his heart until uh, Ananias came and baptized him. Yes. And Luther even talks about in the 1545 Latin edition of his works, he had looked in his heart before he had received the light of the gospel and made a confession that he was in bondage to the law. He read the words of the apostle Paul that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, but this statement terrified him because the law had terrified him greatly. And now he reads that God's justice is also revealed in the gospel. He cannot be righteous like God is. That was simply too terrible. The law damned him. And now God apparently was sending him the gospel to do the same. So even there, God seemed to demand righteousness from sinners. But that's not what God meant, that the righteousness we get is from God. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that the righteousness of God is is revealed in the gospel. And he went on to say, I have a hearty desire. Indeed, I have a yearning to understand the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. 
until that point, nothing had stopped me except that single phrase, the righteousness of God. So Paul is saying the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Yes. And what Luther talks about when he was a monk, leading the life of a holy and blameless monk, he discovered that in the sight of God, I was still a great sinner. And he did not trust his ability to ease the anger of God with my satisfaction, with my merit. So he would ask himself, why does God care whether I am lying on a sack of straw or on a couch of velvet and satin? He confesses, for this reason, I did not at all love this righteous and angry God who punishes sinners. Rather, I hated him and was full of secret anger towards him. And that's at the point where he read the gospel and was therefore comforted by the good news of the gospel. Only when he came to the point that he could think by the law to save himself. And uh, continually, that's what he finally understood. These words are connected that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. The righteous shall live by faith. You know, God makes us righteous through uh, faith in him. By grace through faith are we saved. Yes. Lest anyone should boast. In other words, when the text talks about the righteousness of Christ, it's not something that we have to do to get that righteousness. Rather, it is really in the Greek, the righteousness before God. Remember when Jesus was baptized, God then considered him a sinner. Was Jesus a sinner? He took on the sins of all mankind, but uh, he, he was holy and blameless. Exactly. The opposite occurs for you and me. When we trust in Jesus, he declares us righteous. And what counts is that we are declared by God to be righteous, even while we remain sinners. That's the good news of the gospel. So thanks very much for helping us with this difficult thesis, uh, Pastor Reimnitz, and we'll maybe continue with another one next Thursday. Until then, join us tomorrow for Law and Gospel. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. 
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.